Good morning, everybody, and welcome, welcome to Mission Valley. If this is your first time here, whether in person or watching at home, we're wel- you know, we want to welcome you and hope that uh, this could be a place where uh, you could call family. And um, we've been going through the uh, seven churches in the book of Revelation, because if you take a look at the, what Jesus is saying to these churches, they're still applicable to us today. There's lessons for us to learn from them in the things that, you know, Jesus says, well, you know what, guys, you're doing these things right, keep it up, but, you know, these are areas that you need work on. And I think those are still, you know, uh, applicable for us today as we leave our, live our life as individuals, but also live our lives as a church, you know. So how does Mission Valley stack up to, you know, the churches in um, Revelation? You know, before I came, I became a pastor, I used to work in the, uh, uh, with the secular workforce, and uh, we'd always have what they would call departmental inspections. I don't know if you have those at uh, the place where you work, but basically what they were is when people would come and they would inspect your department to see how you were doing. Were you following, um, you know, corporate guidelines and so forth? What areas were you doing well in and what areas needed improvement? And a lot of times we had no idea when we're being um, watched or, you know, when these reports or uh, were, uh, assessments were taking place. We'd only find out out afterwards where I'd get called into the office and said, oh, by the way, you were um, reviewed. Your department was reviewed um, recently. And practically like 99% of the times there's always, you guys did this well, but these are the areas where you need to improve. But there was that rare occasion when they came in and they would say, you know what? You guys are doing great. You know, keep up the good work. And there was no criticism, there was no but that came after that, you know. And those were just, you know, wonderful, you know, uh, meetings I'd have or evaluations I had when my department was doing everything right and that the people who were evaluating us couldn't find anything wrong. Well, that's the Church of Philadelphia. The Church of Philadelphia was one of two churches that in Smyrna, when, when Jesus evaluated the church, he could find nothing wrong with those churches. There was no criticism against those churches. So it's in these cases we learn from them and say, what were they doing right so we as a church could follow them? So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Revelations chapter 3, verse 7, starting with verse 7. And this is what the Apostle uh, John writes, however, through the instruction of Jesus. Because remember when we started, Jesus was the one who told the Apostle John to write these things down. So when we see the book of Revelation, the entire book was told to the Apostle John by Jesus. And so it says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is a message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David, What he opens, no one could close, and what he closes, no one can open. And so when we see all of the books, it starts off with Jesus describing himself. And it says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And I said before, this wasn't an angelic being. The angel referred to the leader or the elder of the church in Philadelphia or the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. And then Jesus goes on to explain who he is, different facets of who he is. And in this letter, he says, this is a message from the one who is holy and true. 
Jesus is saying, this is from me, who I'm God. I'm not just a man. I'm God. And he says that I am holy, that I am sinless, and that I am true, that every word that comes out of my mouth is true. Everything that I'm telling you to write in the book of Revelation is true. And that's what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on to say, the one who has the key of David, what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Now, Revelation is an exciting book. You know, my life group, you know, went through it, you know, I think it was last year or the year before that. But the difficulty with Revelation, and there's a lot of symbolism that you have to understand. So when you say, you know, the one, Jesus is saying, you know, I have the key of David. You know, well, this is King David. So what's he talking about here? And then he says, you know, what he opens, no one can close, uh, close and what he closed, no one can open. So basically, the key of David was a reference to Jesus holding the key or the entrance into the kingdom of God or heaven. Meaning, you know, a lot of times we see, you know, cartoons or things about the uh, gates at heaven. And who's at the gate of heaven? You know, it's St. Peter or it's Peter, right? And Peter's the one who said, okay, you could come in or you can't come in, right? And we know that's a joke and that's not true. But in this case, what is Jesus saying? He goes, I am the one who holds the key or the ability to let people into my kingdom. You know, what I open, no one could close and what is closed, no one could open. So he was saying, I'm the final authority here. I am the only one that what? I stand in the way of you entering or not entering into the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Jesus was saying. He says what? He goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is what Jesus is trying to say here. I am the one who holds your eternal destiny in my hand. I have the key. I have the ability to unlock the gates of heaven for whomever deserves it, whomever trusts in me. And so that's what Jesus is saying here, is that he and he alone is the one with whom we gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. There's no other person, no other religion that can allow us to gain entrance into heaven other than Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. And he continues, he goes, I know all the things you do. I have opened the door for you that no one could close. You have little strength, and yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. He says that you have little strength. So basically, the Christians in the Church of Philadelphia, they were being persecuted by the Jewish believers, right? And so as believers, we are going to be persecuted. If we are living a life according to Jesus, if we are stepping outside our, the walls of Mission Valley, we are going to get persecuted, right? You know, for, you know, we see some young people here. You know, one of the areas where I was persecuted the most when I was in high school, because that's when I became a believer, and then I realized that my friends were doing things that I can't, couldn't do as a Christian because those are the things that Jesus said, you know what, I don't want you to do. 
And so I had to make a choice. Do I do what my friends want or do I follow Jesus and obey Jesus? I chose to obey Jesus, but when I chose to obey Jesus, guess what? All my friends turned on me. They made fun of me. They called me a chicken. They called me a coward. Um, Even people that, if they did that, they know I could kick their rear ends, but they knew that I've changed and I didn't resort to violence, you know, anymore. And so that was tough. But I was being persecuted for the sake of Christ. When I was in the workforce, I was telling you that many times my managers asked me to do things that I knew were wrong, whether it was to fudge a report, change numbers to make the department look better. You know, I said, no, I can't do that. Persecution. You are going to be persecuted if you live a life according to Jesus Christ. So the question that we need to ask ourselves, if we're not getting persecuted, what's going on? It could be that, you know what, we're not getting persecuted because we're just hanging out with believers. And for me, that's me right now. <laughs> you, know, I'm, you know, for pastors, we're the worst because we tend to what? You know, just hang out and minister to the people in the church. So it's not like I'm getting um, persecuted from the outside because I'm safe within the walls of Mission Valley. That's not good, right? Or maybe you're not getting persecuted because you're going along with the world. You know, the, your boss asks you to do something that's not right, and you, go, you, you know it's not right. You go, oh, man, I, I, I need to keep this job. You know, I need, to feed, I need to support my family. My family needs this income. I'm just going to go along and do it. You know, or you, your friends are doing stuff and you go, oh, I'll just go along. And that could be another reason why you're not getting persecuted. However, the, church, the believers in Philadelphia stood firm and they did not deny Jesus Christ. They continued to obey him and their strength, their strength. They were getting tired. They were getting weary. But what does Jesus say here? Once again, he goes, I know the things you do and I have opened a door for you that no one could close. You go, well, what's that about? You know, I'm going to, I know you're tired, I know you're persecuted, and I'm going to open this door for you. Well, if you look in uh, the New Testament, whenever you see the door open, that uh, many times that referred to Jesus was opening, or God was opening a door to ministry. That he was going to provide you a new, open the door for you to be involved in a new ministry. And that's what he was saying here. He goes, man, you're faithful. And because you're faithful with little, I'm going to give you more. So I'm going to open doors of ministry to you so you could what? Affect people for me so you can expand the kingdom for me. And could you imagine that? They're like, oh, we're being persecuted. We're tired. And Jesus is saying, guess what? For your reward, I'm going to open the door for you to do more ministry. And that was the case here. But isn't that like us today, right? You know, Jesus, I'm tired. Jesus, I'm involved in this ministry. Or, you know, I've got so many things going in my life, my kids, my family, my work. You know, I'm trying to be faithful to you. And you're giving me more ministry. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Why? Because Jesus looks at what? The eternal. And he's looking at ways for us to, number one, expand his kingdom and to bring new people into his kingdom. That's our goal. That's our purpose. Our purpose isn't to live a comfortable life because really that's only here on earth, right? And if you blink your eyes, that's how fast our time is here on earth. And Jesus knows that he wants us to be involved in what? 
investing in heavenly treasures, things that will last for all eternity, and that's what he's giving the believers in Philadelphia a chance to do here. Because the church of Philadelphia was strategically located among, you know, trade routes. So, you know, when people were trading, they always had to go through the Church of Philadelphia. So this is a wonderful opportunity for the believers in Philadelphia to go out and spread the good news about the gospel. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, guys, I know you're persecuted. I know you're tired. But man, through all of this, you've been faithful. And since you've been faithful with little, I'm going to open the door for more opportunities so more people could be blessed by you. And that's what Jesus was saying right here. He says, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say that they are Jews but they are not, to come down and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. So once again, we know that this is who are persecuting the believers, the Jews, right? And he calls them, they belong to Satan's synagogue. Because what did the Jewish people worship? They worshiped in a synagogue. But what did Jesus call them? This is Satan's synagogue. Because these are the Jews who thought they were Jews by what? Birth and maybe by obeying the Mosaic law, but they had nothing in their heart. Because if they understood the law, they would have understood that everything in the Old Testament pointed to who? Jesus, right? But they rejected Jesus and they were persecuting his um, people. And so what does Jesus say? He goes, I will force them meaning the Jews, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. You know, we see this in Psalm 23, 5, when the psalmist writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So Jesus, the first point is Jesus will vindicate us so we don't need to take revenge on those who wronged us. Who does revenge belong to? The Lord. It doesn't belong to us. Jesus will vindicate us. And this is where we have hope, right? Jesus, this is where we have hope. We have to trust that all of those who wronged us, all of those who persecute us because of our faith, Jesus will vindicate us for that. It says that he will force those who persecute us to bow down at our feet and let them let them know that we are the ones that he loves. This is the ultimate in your face, right, that Jesus is going to do for those who persecute us. You know, when I was at um, Continental Airlines working at the gate, we'd have what we call dupe seats where there was, you know, a, one or two people assigned to the same seats. I don't know, has any of that happened to you where you get on an airplane and there's somebody sitting in your seat? Right. Well, back then we didn't have computers. Uh, we wrote down the uh, person's seat on ha- by hand and we put their ticket in a jacket. And so there were dupe seats. And so whenever there was a duplicate seat on an airplane, they would call me in. And then I would have to kind of figure out what went wrong and solve the problem. But, you know, this, you know there were times when this happened where there was some people sitting in a seat and there was a dupe seat. And then the couple coming in would say, hey, you're in my seat. Get out of my seat. You know, and they'd be very obnoxious to the people sitting there. And by no fault of their own, you know, we were the ones who made mistakes. But they were obnoxious. They said, get out of my seat. That's my seat. And they'd make a scene. And then I'd have to walk into that and figure out what happened. Right. And so I take a look at the situation. I see 
Man, these people are so obnoxious to the people that are in their seats, supposedly. And so I said, you know what? I, I'd find some other seats, and um, I would go to the couple or whoever was sitting in that seat. I go, you know, I'm just so sorry about this, but it, it appears that there's been a mistake. We made a mistake, and these people were assigned your seat. Would you uh, come with me and get your stuff, and I'll get you another seat? And nine times out of ten, they did that. But the thing that they didn't know and the thing that I love to do is after this obnoxious couple sat in their seat, seats and put all the bags away, I would make sure that the couple who got off stayed there, okay? And so everyone seated, and then I would tell the couple uh, who, who got up, I said, thank you so much for getting up. I apologize for this, and guess what? I'm going to give you two seats in first class. In earshots of those other people, you know, and the other two people who are sitting will get so upset. They're going, those are our seats. Why didn't you put us in first class? I said, because you were obnoxious. They go, no, we deserve to be in first class. I said, no, you paid for those seats. You sit down, you know. <laughs> but that was the truth. I love doing that because you just look at their face, right? They were obnoxious. They got their seats. And the people who were nice and polite, I got up and said, hey, you're going to Hawaii in first class, Right? And that's what we're talking about here. You know, all of those who are persecuting us, Jesus, in, yeah, we are going to be glorified in front of them. We are going to be glorified in front of them. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He says um, in verse 10, because you obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing and will come upon the whole earth to test those who belong in this world. Now, this has great significance for us living in today's world. Because when he says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, we're all going to be blessed by the uh, acts of the Church of Philadelphia. He says, I will protect you from the great time of testing. So what is the great time of testing? Well, in the Bible, we believe that that's a great tribulation period. Okay, and that hasn't happened yet, but those are the worst, and I've shared this before, those are the worst seven years in the history of this world. And because that they were faithful, Jesus says, I will protect you. Because he's not just writing to the Church of Philadelphia here. He's writing to all churches. And the reason we know or we believe this is a great tribulation, it says um, there will be great testing that will come upon the whole world. We know that... This is not going to be a local thing that Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that testing is going to come upon the entire world. So the only, when it comes to that, what event is he talking about here? What event that could um, affect the entire world to test the entire world? Well, we believe that is the seven-year tribulation period. And it says, because of their faith, the church will be spared from experiencing the great tribulation period. Okay? And so what is the great tribulation period? The great tribulation period is described in Revelations chapter 6 through 19. We're not going to go through that 
today, but if you want to know, if you want to be scared, look up Revelation 6 through uh, 19, because that's a time when the Antichrist will be on um, the scene. And the testing will be to the unbelievers worldwide. The seven-year period, is this is a period that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through um, 27. But the thing about this, Annette said that 44,000 died in the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, which is a lot of people who lost their lives. But according to Scripture... The scripture says during this seven-year period, there'll be like a minimum of four billion people that will lose their lives. Four billion people will lose their lives in the seven-year period. Now, granted, this is all a lot of its symbolism, but, you know, it's going to be a bad time. You know, and, and part of the reason I think that these things are written in Scripture is so we could take a look at our time, we could take a look at our culture, and start seeing some of these signs. Now, granted, we're not perfect because there are people that have been predicting the second coming of Christ for ever since I've been a believer. But there's interesting things that we see because we see in Revelation that it talks about a country that has 200 million, a 200 million man army. Back then, and we guess that back then, there's probably about 300 million people that, you know, lived in the entire planet, right? Let alone one country that could have an army of 200 million. That was absurd back that time. But guess what? Who has a country of 200 million men? China. China, they say, has a standing army of 200 million men. The Bible says that you will not be able to buy or sell goods without the mark of the beast, right? The, or the mark of the Antichrist, which will be what? On your right hand or your forehead. What could that be, right? You know, from the time I was in college, we've been moving to a cashless society. How many of you even carry cash nowadays or write a check? You know, I was asking my son, hey, write a check. He goes, what's a check? He doesn't know how to write a check, Right? And part of you young people don't know how to write a check either, right? You know, it's a piece of paper where you write down a, a, who they're supposed to go to, and then all of a sudden the bank takes money out of your account and pays that person, right? No, you got Venmo nowadays, right? And so, but we're going to a cashless society. I mean, you could even go to restaurants and what, boom, with your camera, QR code, oh, there's the menu, right? You don't even need a menu anymore. Well, guess what? There's going to be a time when you won't be able to buy or sell goods without the mark of the Antichrist. And we don't know what that mark is, really. But I'm guessing that it could be. It could be a QR code, right? We don't know. But we need to look at these signs to say, and Jesus was giving us warning that th these these things are going to happen because everything written in the book of Re Revelation was told to John by somebody who is what? True. So everything that we see in the book of Revelation is going to happen. Now, we may have the interpretation wrong, right? But it's going to happen. And so we need to start looking at these signs and prophecies in the book of Revelation because, you know, I believe it could be soon. 
It could be soon that Jesus could come back either in my lifetime or the lifetime of our children, right, the way this world is going. But so the question is, how will we be saved from this? Because I don't want to be around when this happens. And Jesus says that we will be saved. And we will be saved through this um, event called the rapture, okay? What is the rapture? Well, the rapture is just a time when Jesus comes and boom, we all, all who believers, we disappear and we meet Jesus in the clouds. And we see this in First Thessalonians 4, starting with verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what's he saying here? That when Jesus comes, the dead, the dead their souls will... Rise, and they're going to meet Jesus first. But then what he says in verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, so we see that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are still around, and this is what, oh man, I, I'm just praying, Lord, just keep me alive until your rapture, because I'd love to experience that, right? I'd love to just be walking around here, or even I could be preaching, and I'm gone, right? And hopefully all of you will be gone too. Um, um, but, you know, that's what he's talking about here, is we're all going to um, disappear. And this is what we believe is prior to the tribulation. This event is going to happen before the seven years, so we don't have to experience that. However, not all theologians, pastors, commentators believe this, because they believe in, this is what you call a pre-tribulation rapture, that we could be raptured before the tribulation. There's also a mid-tribulation where we're going to go, where the church is going to go through the first three and a half years because the Bible talks about us being saved from the wrath of God. Well, that's going to happen in the second three, three and a half years. The first three and a half years, we're dealing with the, the Antichrist and the persecution that he's going to do, right, along with the false prophet. So some people believe that this um, mid-tribulation rapture is going to happen in the first after the first three and a half years. And finally, some believe that there's not going to be, we're not going to be raptured, you know, at all. And if we are, it's going to be post-tribulation period, right? Um, no, that's not a highly, widely held um, occurrence. But those who feel that way says that, yes, we are going to be saved from the wrath, meaning that, you know, out of the four billion people that will probably that will probably lose their lives during the tribulation, those of us who are believers will be spared. Our lives will we will n- not be killed during that time. However, you know, it's not going to be a great seven years to go through. I I, I don't want to go through that, so I'm praying that it's a pre-tribulation rapture, and I do believe that because I think a lot of Scripture does point to that, even though I'm not dogmatic about that. But he goes on to say, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one could take your crown. And so he's saying, I know that you guys are suffering. I know that you're persecuting. Hold on. Because we see this, Jesus saying this over and over when his children are being persecuted he just doesn't take them out of the fire right so if we are suffering for the cause of christ and we think that jesus is going to come and just boom take us out you know we need to think again because that's not how we operate 
right? He's telling them, you know, I know you have a little strength. I know that you're being persecuted. I know life is difficult for you. I'm coming soon, but hold on. And he's telling us, hold on, hold on. I know it's tough. And he said, so that no one will take your crown. And you go, okay, no one will take our crown. What's this crown that Jesus is talking about here? Well, then we see this in Revelation 2.10, where um, that John writes, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until, until death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, in James 1.12, James writes, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So basically, this crown is one of five crowns that believers have the chance of earning. And this is a crown that believers who um, persevere under persecution, you will get this crown of life. We're going to be persecuted. And if we stand up, if we live faithful as believers and through this persecution and do not deny Jesus as a lifestyle, because we know that Peter denied Jesus, but that was only an event, he says what? You will be given this crown of life, okay? But these are one of um, five crowns that are mentioned in the Bible that believers will receive or that we have a chance to receive when we see Jesus in heaven. The first crown we see is the crown of rejoicing. I mean, the imperishable crown, I'm sorry. That's in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25. And this crown will be given to those who lived a life, uh, a faithful life and a self-sacrificing life and a disciplined life in living for God. Okay, so for those of us who lived our life here on this earth, who lived faithfully obeying Jesus, that we didn't turn our back on him, that we, you will be given this crown. The second crown is the crown of rejoicing. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. And the crown of rejoicing, this is the soul winner's crown. Those who, rele- who reach out beyond themselves and lead others to heaven. So for those of you who have that gospel inside of you, for those of you who care about those who do not know Jesus Christ, for those of you who evangelize others, this crown was meant for you, and you will get that crown. For those of us who just sit here in the, um, the four walls of this church and we live like a monk, we will not receive this crown. Then you have the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness we see in 2 Timothy 4.8. And this is all of those who love Jesus and who are waiting for Jesus to come back. Right? These are people that are so in love with Jesus that we're looking for the time when he comes back. We're looking for his second return. And we're living our life as if he's coming back tomorrow. Right? Because, like, you know, how, how many of you had pop quizzes? Right? Didn't you hate those? Because our teacher said, get out your paper, put your name on the top right hand corner, we're going to have a pop quiz. Okay, ah! I didn't study. Well, that's why you had a pop quiz. Right? To show you that you need to study. 
Well, this also is for those who are, know Jesus is going to come back, who are looking forward to Jesus coming back, and who are ready. It's not going to be a pop quiz for them. They've been living their life in according, in obedience to Jesus. The next one is the crown of glory. Now, this crown is given to the faithful shepherds of God's people. These are given to the pastors, right? Now, if we were going to look at this in our context here at Mission Valley, it would be given to the pastors, the board members, the trustees, life group leaders, Sunday school leaders, uh, youth leaders, Kayam, I think Kayam is, I, I never know how to say that, Kayam leaders, ministry team leaders, you know, if you, finance committee lead, if you're involved in any leadership, if you responded to the call of leadership, this is your crown. That's why it's important to get involved. Right? And finally, the crown of life, and that's in Revelation 2.10. But this is a crown, once again, for those of us who persevere under persecution, you know, especially for those who are martyred for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. This crown will be given to you. And so what are we going to do with these crowns? Are we just going to put them in a locker or something? You know, we really don't know. But we know in Revelation 4, 10 to 11, it describes the elders taking their crowns and laying it at the feet of the throne, taking our crowns and laying them at the feet of Jesus. You know, there's no greater honor for us to take our crowns, what we've earned, and we lay them as an offering to Jesus. And that's what it's for. And this is why this is important. And this is why Jesus is telling them, hold on, hold on. Because one day you're going to get that crown of life and you're going to have the honor honor of laying them you know at my feet and then he says all those who are victorious become pillars of the temple of my god and they will never have to leave it so basically what this is is um, those who are faithful they are given an eternal place of honor in heaven he says that you will be pillars and that symbolizes permanence right stability and permanence and that we will be given a place of honor in heaven that is for all time that is for all time then he says i will write the name of my god i will write on them the name of my god and they will be citizens in the city of my god the new jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my god once again in revelation after everything is done after all evil is vanquished and you know all believe all People have been judged, and the new heavens come in and earth. It talks about this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and this is where we're going to live. But he says, I will write on them the name of my God. You know, how many of you saw Toy, toy Story, right? And, and what was on the bottom of Andy, uh, excuse me, Woody, Buzz, and Bullseye shoes? Andy! Right? I, I gave that away. Andy. And who was Andy? Andy was the owner. And he wrote his name on the bottom of the shoes. What? To signify ownership. That Woody, Buzz, and Bullseye belong to him. And this is the same thing here. That God is going to write his name on us. I'm not sure if it's going to be on the bottom of our shoe. Um, but what that does signify is that we belong to him. And that we are citizens in heaven's capital. We are eternal citizens of heaven's capital. 
We'll never have to worry again about being outcast, about living in a world of sin. Never, because we are eternal sin. We are eternal citizens in heaven's capital. Finally, it says, "And I will also write on them my new name." And what's the reward? Jesus promises believers his new name, right? Because we know that Jesus means what? God saves. You know that God is our salvation. And that was his name here on earth, that God saved us. He's always going to be our Savior throughout all eternity. But when we're in heaven, we're going to see Jesus in his fullness, something that we can't even imagine, right? We're going to see parts of him that just blow our minds that we never even thought of. And I think that's the name that we are going to, that's going to be Jesus' new name. And then he finishes that he says, anyone who has with ears, he must listen to the Spirit and understand what he was saying to the churches. It's not just listening to what he has to say. You must understand what he's trying to say. But understanding for knowledge's sake only? Of course not. You have to listen to what Jesus is saying. And then you have to take your time to understand it. Because if you just read it face value, a lot of us would be confused. This is why we have to take our time to study and try to understand what is all this symbolism he's talking about. But then finally, after we understood it, we have to do what? We have to live it out. We have to live it out. It's no good if we just hear it. It's no good if we just understand it. We have to live it out. Because what? Jesus is saying these things apply to the ones who are going to experience persecution. These things apply to the believer who overcomes, who does not walk away from the faith. So we need to apply these things. So what are the three R's from the Church of Philadelphia? The first R is to remain faithful under persecution. We are going to be persecuted for our faith. And if we are not persecuted, we really need to to take a look at why. Am I not being persecuted just because I'm living and just hanging out with believers? Am I not being persecuted because I'm just going with the flow at my workplace or wherever you are? You know, I'm going with the flow. I'm not trying to live out my faith there because this job is too important to me. Respond to new opportunities God will put in front of you. If you remain faithful, what did Jesus say? He is going to open doors for you. He's going to open doors for you. And, and he's, but Jesus said, I know you, you have little strength. I know you're tired. I know you're tired. But I'm going to open doors for you. So if, you, if that's you today, if you feel tired, if you think, Lord, I'm, I'm doing enough, I'm doing enough, Jesus is going to give you the honor of saying, you know what? I'm going to open some more doors for you. I'm gonna, but then who's going to give you the strength to do it? Jesus. So if you are obeying Christ, always look for opportunities where God's going to use your gifts, your passion, your experiences, and so forth to open new doors of ministry for you. And don't say no. Say yes to those uh, open doors. And finally, rejoice in the fact that Jesus will vindicate us in front of our enemies. You don't need to do that. You don't need to seek revenge on people. Jesus is going to do that for us. He promises 
that he's going to do this. And so, you know, these are just wonderful rewards that God is going to give us, that Jesus is going to give us if we remain faithful. So I hope that encourages all of us to remain faithful. No matter, you might be persecuted now, you might not be, but hold on, remain faithful to our faith. Remain obedient to Scripture because when we do, these things are availed to us. So what's our weekly challenge? I want us to read Revelation 7 through 13 every, every day. Every day. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. And then let God take care of those who persecute you and remain faithful to him. Is there somebody in your life that just is like, ugh, you know, bugging you right now? That's just causing you pain and grief? You know, you're supposed to talk to them about it, right? You're supposed to try to resolve it. We know that in Scripture. But we are not to take revenge. We are not to take revenge. Okay. Let God take care of that for you. Our job is to do what? Remain faithful to him, and he'll take care of the rest. Look for God to open new doors of ministry opportunities for you. Don't say that, oh, I'm so tired. You know, I'm not going to look. Look for new opportunities of ministry. Because why? It's an honor, isn't it? Isn't it an honor to serve God? And that's what he's given you. He says, I'm giving you the honor of serving me. And guess what? You're going to be rewarded for it. You're going to be building up treasures in heaven for it. I'm giving you an opportunity to build your eternal bank account. These things that I give you because of your faithfulness, they are going to last forever. They're going to last forever. Don't say no. If you feel God's calling, opening in a door to you, you know, pray about it. Ask others about it, but don't automatically dismiss it. Worship team, please come forward, and um, let's close in prayer. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word, and I just so enjoyed preparing for this sermon. For, Lord, I I know that day is going to come, Father, when you are going to test the world. Lord, and... It's going to be a really, really, really bad seven years. But, Father, you promised to save us from that. However that is going to happen, Lord, I don't know. But, Father, I thank you that you are going to save us from that. And we can look forward to that. And, Father, I know that there are some here that are tired. You know, the work is taking its toll on them. The conflicts in their workplace or maybe situations in their families, Father, or just situations in this world or relationships are making them weary, and they're trying to follow you the best they can. Father, I pray that you would give them strength, knowing that you will come back, that you promised to come back, but you also commanded us to hold on to our faith to be obedient to Scripture and not take things into our own hands. And so, Father, I pray for strength for each one of us here this morning. Father, that we would hold on. Give us the strength to hold on. And for those of you who are sitting here right now who are anxious, who are tired, 
And you're doing your best through the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus. I'm going to ask you right now to pray to God and in your own words, ask God to open doors of ministry for you that no one could close, that once God opens this door to you, he's opening it for a reason. Don't let fear, don't let weariness, don't let inadequacy keep you from walking through that open door. So I just want you to pray right now and ask God to open doors of ministry for you. Father, what a privilege it is for us to honor you by serving you. Father, to live a life where we can receive <clears throat> those crowns that you promised in Scripture for those who live a faithful life to you. And Father, I look so forward to be able to take my crown and lay it at your feet to worship you and just to glorify you and to just say thank you. Oh, Lord, I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I can't even imagine. But, Father, I pray that you would allow all of us to live our lives so we can earn those crowns. Father, I pray that you would allow all of us to live our lives so when that day comes, when you come back to rapture your children, Father, that we would be ready, that we wouldn't be caught unprepared. Father, may we live our lives looking forward to that day to tell you, Lord, we're ready. We're ready to come home with you. Oh, thank you so much for the encouragement that we have and just the rewards that we have awaiting for us for spending eternity in heaven, Lord, to get to leave all of this pain and suffering and evil behind and to live in a place with you for all eternity. Father, we look so forward to that. And may that, Father, give us hope and inspiration, Father, to hold on and to live a life in obedience to your word. In your son's name we pray, amen.